Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him.
chance of precipitation, 70%. New snow accumulation between 2 a.m. and and sunrise is 3 to 5 inches. Sunday. Sunday is what my grandmother would call a wretched mess. No, freezing rain, sleep before 4 p.m. And then a chance of freezing rain between 4 and 5, and a chance of rain or freezing rain after 5. So we don't know where that line is going to be yet. High near 34 for some people. East wind, 9 to 13 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation, 100%. New ice accumulation of 1 to 2 tenths of an inch if possible. So all it takes is, is just a coating of ice into the black ice and terrible riding. New snow once seed accumulation Sunday, 1 to 3 inches possible. So we're looking at 3 to 5 during the night Saturday, 1 to 3 Sunday. So we're looking at, at 4 to 8 total accumulation. But it's the ice that's bad. That's, that's dangerous. Sunday night, Chance of rain before 7 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around 23. Southwest wind, 11 to 14. Chance of precipitation, 30% during the night. And then Monday, back to work. Mostly sunny with a high near 25. West wind, 15 to 18, with gusts as high as 29 miles an hour. Now, if we have a coating of ice, and if we get gusts up to 29 miles an hour, we're going to have some tree limbs down. So what I'm hoping is that uh, we experience the same thing we did during the last big scare. And where I live, it was 33 degrees. It wasn't a bit of freezing rain. And uh, we didn't get any accumulation. uh, we, We lucked out. Look at a, a snow depth map, and you can, you can look this up on the internet. But you can look for main snow depth, and uh, this was ending at midnight last night, January first. And there's a patch of snow on the map that goes from about Bolton up to Presque Isle on the border, and then west to Route 11, that is six to eight inches on the ground. So there's some snowmobiling right there. But from below 95 in Maine, there's virtually no snow from holding on down. But between 95 and the ocean, there are patches of snow in the woods where the sun doesn't hit it. But in the fields, there's probably no snow. And then uh, the highest amount of snow in the entire northeast from Pennsylvania all the way to Madawaska is Right on Sugarloaf, USA, it's 12 to 15 inches. And that's it. There's one patch of snow, probably 15 miles in diameter, sitting right there where Sugarloaf, USA is located. And you get down around Sunday River in those, uh, those ski areas of southern Maine, and they've got 6 to 8 inches, maybe 8 to 10 inches, depending on, on where they are. That's That's natural snow now, not man-made. Lots of those ski areas have man-made snow. So pack her up, go skiing on those new skis. Those folks need the money, and you, you need the, the enjoyment. 
East Millinocket is uh, does not look like East Millinocket Mill is going to open up again. Old Town Mill is going to open up, and they want to get running as soon as possible. They've got wood coming in, which is a good thing for most people who are in the woodcutting business. And But the Old Town Mill is going to make a change. They're going to transition from hardwood to softwood because of the fact that Millinocket is not going to start up and Buffsport is not going to, is going to be down. There's going to be plenty of softwood available, and softwood craft, more than softwood craft made from main spruce and some fir, is the best, the best pulp in the world. Always has been. The press rooms like it. Press rooms that run our our paper. When I say our paper, I mean Maine's paper. Love it because they. The press room measures uh, efficiency in breaks per hundred rolls. And it used to be that they'd have six or eight breaks per hundred rolls years ago. And they got down to one break per hundred rolls. Now, press rooms traditionally like to blame the paper mills for breaks. But if you can run the paper from one mill and have one or two breaks for every hundred rolls, and you get the product is supposed to be the same, same basis weight and everything, from a different mill in a different part of the country, and you get 10 breaks per 100 rolls, well, when you have a break on a printing press, there's a cleanup involved in downtime and inefficiency, and, and that's it. You have, uh, you have problems. So it's, you know, everybody likes a smooth running operation, whether it's the manufacturer of the paper itself or whether it's whether it's the uh, the press room, and ultimately the newspaper or the magazine. You're reading a magazine, you turn the page, and all of a sudden there's a big ink blot right in the middle of the page. Well, that's distracting, and and you, maybe you really wanted to know what word was underneath that or whose picture was there, or whatever. So. We fine-tune the manufacturing process of paper, and main mills are good at it. They are the best in the world at lightweight magazine papers, which is what Buxport made. They, they started out making paper for Time Life. The mill was actually owned by Time Life when they first started up, and they made paper for Time Magazine and Life Magazine. They made paper for Saturday evening post. Then later they made paper for Newsweek after St. Vegas took over because they time didn't want to sell paper to Newsweek because they knew that they had the best paper in the world. They didn't want their competitor to also have the best paper in the world, so they wouldn't sell to them. But when St. Vegas took over, uh, they began to make paper for other magazines. And then they started making paper for all kinds of magazines, hot rod magazines, road and track magazine, hunting and fishing, field and stream, sports and field. They're all lightweight coated papers. So, uh, and then gradually people began to get their information online and, and the paper publishing industry is in decline. 
pick up a copy of the Bangor Daily News you know, on a Monday, it's pretty darn skinny. And as pe- you know, business people realize that to advertise in the, in the newspapers less than they advertise online more. Some some advertisements online cost the advertiser nothing. They set up their own website and they advertise. The paper industry is changing. But Old Town is going to Softwood. They won't declare, they won't do that in one day. They'll do it as a transition. And they'll make a blend for a while. You can do that. Lincoln Pulp and Paper uh, ran for years running a blend of hardwood and softwood. And their product, one of their products was the magazine insert, the postcard reply card is what it's called in the industry. The reply card has to be a certain caliber. It has to be seven thousandths of an inch thick. It has to have a certain amount of stiffness. And it has to have a, a low porosity. In other words, these cards get picked up by a vacuum device and inserted into a magazine. And when you open a magazine that you subscribe to, a postcard falls out in your lap. And it's got your name on the postcard. You say, well, how in the world did they do that? Well, I was stuck in that magazine when the magazine was printed. And with millions of magazines being printed, they want each of the name and address to be the one that gets the magazine, obviously. It's got to be reliable. So they have a specification called porosity. And they plug up the, the sheet with various uh, starches and uh, so that they can plug up the sheet and it can be reliably picked up by a vacuum device and inserted in that magazine. And if you watch a press room running, it's uh, it's an amazing thing to watch. It's it's so automated today. When ben Franklin was printing uh, his one sheet uh, newspaper I wish I could remember the name of it. Uh, but he had, a, he had a newspaper, a periodical that he put out. And it, it, there was no deadline. Just when he had enough news put together and had enough to say, he'd print one of these things and it passed them around. And he didn't have su- subscribers or anything like that. But he had one. And after Lexington and Concord, the Colonials put together a report on one sheet of paper, which is about 15 by 20 inches, and uh, printed on one side, and they printed thousands of them. And they hired the fastest packet that they could find to bring these to London. And the, the packet got there three weeks before the first British ship arrived in London with news of what had happened at Lexington and Concord. So the British population got our side of the story, which was true. You know, the Redcoats marched out to Lexington and Concord, shot a bunch of colonials, and went back to Boston. And they were harassed all the way back. What they wanted, what the reason they went to Lexington and Concord was was to seize the munitions 
and provisions of the colonials. As they'd been in Boston all winter, by April 19th, they were running low on food. So was the general population in Boston. And they set up patrols. And they tried to tried to gather up all the ammunition and firearms that they could. They were all flintlocks, muskets. And uh, they couldn't get away with it. And after that day, they were never able to leave Boston by land again. When they finally sailed out to sea, they declared it a holiday. It's called Evacuation Day. It's still celebrated as a holiday in, in Massachusetts. The day the British sailed out to sea, half the ships went to Nova Scotia, the other half went down to Long Island. And the war was on. The War for Independence, the Revolutionary War. And it was it was a eight years of, of difficulty. But we prevailed. We kept our freedom. We were free before the revolution. And the British tried to uh, British tried to impose lots of restrictions and uh, and burdens on our freedom taxation, and uh, we said, no, can't do it, and we prevailed. Finally, the Cornwallis surrendered to Yorktown, Virginia, and that was that was the end of it. Sailed off, but they came back. They came back because they were seizing our ships in the open sea in the early 1800s, and they were impressing our sailors, civilians. And they're just drafting them into the British Army and Navy. So we, we went to war again, and they burned Washington, D.C. They burned much of the city. They burned the White House. And the White House's exterior walls made out of white marble, but the whole thing was gutted. There wasn't a stick of wood in there that didn't burn. Well, we'll learn from history. Can't, uh, can't just sit there and take it. The uh, something put out this week called the destruction of the middle classes during the final stages. And you look at what's happened in the last few months, and at the end of the previous Congress. And there's not much good news there. At a recent G20 meeting, now G20 is the top 20 nations economically in the entire world. The top, you know, you've got the big five on the Security Council to UN, and then you've got the top 20 economies. And they get together and they have meetings and they say, well, how can we keep this, this good thing going? It's been a good thing. You know, there's a lot of people in those countries that are prosperous. And what they decided is that bank deposits will no longer be considered money. The bank deposits become the property of the banking institution and as such could be used the way the bank wants. Well, we have a system where you deposit money in the bank and they hold it for you. 
and they lend out that money based on a fraction. So they, if they've got a million dollars, they got to, they've got to keep fifty thousand on hand for those people that might come in and want to withdraw some money that day. But the other ninety-five percent, they can lend out to somebody else. It's your money, and you know they're lending this money out. This is okay. But if there are lots of people who went to the bank and wanted to take their money out, and they didn't have it, they've got something called the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And you'll see when you take out a savings account or even a checking account, you'll see there's FDIC insured. They've got a sticker on the window that says FDIC insured. And that's that's been a good thing. Wait a minute. What money have they got? The FDIC. Do they have enough to cover it if, if, if my bank failed? Well, for the average bank, yes, they do. They, as I mentioned last week, in Greece, uh, the banks needed a bailout. The government didn't have the money. So they they did what they called the bail-in. It was a new term. Nobody had heard it before. They took half of everybody's savings in Greece. Took half. Now, this is half of somebody's retirement fund. This is half of their life savings. This is half of what a business has in the bank. They just reached out and took it. Half. Guess what, Mr. Jones? You only got half your money. We took the rest of it because we needed it. And the G20 has declared that the derivative holders have first priority when any funds are paid out. The depositors are relegated to last place. So the FDIC will have to pay out those funds. But guess what? They don't have anywhere near enough money to pay the $300 trillion that are out there in derivatives today. $300 trillion. Now, people worry that our country is $18 trillion in debt. We are. You know, it went from $17 trillion to $18 trillion in only about six months. But $300 trillion, there isn't that much money in the whole world out there as, as real money. What the derivatives are, as I've explained before, are a promise to pay part of the bank's proceeds as interest to investors. But if Jimmy and Mary or Jimmy and Susie don't make their mortgage payments, the money isn't there. The bank will foreclose on the mortgage. And as I said last week and a few times before, the banks aren't kicking out Jimmy and Susie. Jimmy and Susie are staying in the house and keeping the house heat. They're not making payments, and the bank owns the house. The bank is claiming that that is a performing asset. But if Billy and Susie aren't paying on it, it's not really a performing asset. 
they're showing that they've got something that they don't really have. And the whole thing is like a house of cards. When the house of cards collapses, you know, and you've got the opportunity to take and rebuild the house of cards from that deck of cards. But what if the house of cards burns down? There's no cards. So we've known for the past few years, I say we, the bank managers and the Secretary of the Treasury in these various nations have known what's coming. And they, they've they been taking out their assets and they've been buying stuff, hard assets, land, real estate, precious metals, boats, airplanes, all kinds of stuff. And lots lots of people in high finance are doing this. And you know, they started buying wind wind farms. And then they realized, hey, wait a minute. You're gonna have enough money to pay for the wind towers, but you've also got to have enough money population has to have enough money to buy this electricity. And wind power costs 22 cents a kilowatt hour to make. If you're competing with a hydro dam, people aren't going to buy electricity at 22 cents a kilowatt hour when they can buy it at three and a half cents a kilowatt hour. We're trying to force people to buy wind power. One of the ways they do that is to take out dams. And they're taking out the dam at Denfield, or lowering the, the level, and they go to put in a fish ladder. Fish ladder is going to enable alewives to go up into the entire Piscataquis water, Piscataquis watershed. They've already stocked alewives in the Pastumkeg River, and there's a dam up there. They're going to put a fishway in there so the alewives can go all the way up to the origin of the Pastumkeg River which is way up on the That's the beginning of the Bastumkeg River. And the guides and the outdoorsmen have tried to keep the alewives out of the Downeast Lakes watershed, which is East Grand and West Grand and that entire watershed. Well, they're going to be in there. They're going to change the fishery. Now, before the white man ever came here, that's what they had. They had alewives everywhere. They had salmon lots of places. A lot of streams in Maine called Salmon Stream. And salmon were there back in the 1700s before we built the dams. But the way we powered our nation back then is we had water wheels. Water water wheels ground the wheat and the corn, make flour and cornmeal, cracked corn for animals to eat. And we uh, we just uh, we ran lots of things with wooden water wheels, wooden gears. And the wooden gears are lubricated with water so they wouldn't wear out as fast. And we all know that wood is slippery when it's wet. Probably easier to slip on the dock and fall in the lake. So uh, We powered ourselves with 
was when we started making electricity with it. We made a lot of sawmills with, with water power. That's how we grew our country. We moved a lot of water barges on the Erie Canal, man-made canals, with lots of locks, barges upstream and down. We're losing that. We've got, uh, they've taken out hydro. They took the hydro out of the Edwards Dam and Augusta is the most famous one because the Secretary of the Interior came up there with the environmental industry and they had a big celebration when they ripped out the, the Edwards Dam. Now they've taken out the dam in Old Town, which was so important to the mill in Old Town. They made electricity with it. Now they have to buy their electricity from some other source. So we're losing some mills, we're gaining a few others. We uh, in Woodland, the uh, the Chinese-owned mill in Woodland is putting in two new uh, tissue machines. And they're going to make tissue. Chinese have discovered toilet paper. It's, been, it's a wonderful thing. And they they want to buy toilet paper just as fast as they can buy it. They took a look at uh, at the Lincoln Mill, but Lincoln has a unique niche. They make the best deep dyed tissue in the whole world, and they have a, a test that the uh, the ink can't bleed out of it. Some colored papers, the ink will bleed out. But they want to have navy blue napkins at the wedding. Somebody spills a martini, they don't want the navy blue napkin to bleed out off of the rise wedding gown. So they have the, the process with deep dyed tissue that will not run. And they're the only ones that have it. Then they have a martini test. Every roll of deep dyed uh, paper that comes out of that mill gets tested with the martini test. Little known fact. But it's true. So, we've come around. The thing is that it's all connected. The removal of the dams, wind power, the general economy as a whole, and the G20 nations have now said that they can do what they want. They can reach out and they can take money from depositors' savings accounts. Well, the people that have a whole lot of money in savings accounts don't like that idea. And neither should Billy and Susie. You know, they're saving up for a vacation and they're saving up to buy a new car or a used car. And if all of a sudden they've only got half as much as they had, as their deposit book says, that's not a good thing. And there's going to be a whole lot of discontent in the population if that comes to pass. So it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting time to watch as this this occurs. Can't have can't print trillions and trillions of dollars out of nothing and have it not have an effect. We're the world's largest economy for a while. And as we go down through this, uh, 
other economies are growing. But China has has exceeded us as the rest of the size. We're no longer the world's largest economy. But China is bigger than we are. But they've got a huge population, so the general standard of living is not nearly as high as ours, but they have a very vigorous and growing middle class. And they're going to be looking for elbow room. In the 1920s, Germany uh, had a word they used, Liebensbaum, which is elbow room. They started reaching out and taking over neighboring countries. And, you know, as Confucius said, well, at the outset here, may we live in interesting times. Red China is starting to flex for muscles. And they've got muscles. And our carrier fleet, we have about five carriers at sea. The French carrier is not in use. The two British carriers are not can't go to sea. They took off and went down to the Falklands, and they, when Argentina tried to take the Falklands away from, from Great Britain, so they, uh, they weren't able to do it. And the British went down there with a carrier and a fleet of ships, threw the Argentines out, and they went back to Argentina. And the Argentinians sank a British destroyer using a French Exocet missile. Just about blew it in half, and down she went. The British had a carrier down there, and they had Harrier jets, and they had A4 jets, and they uh, they were able to defeat the Argentines in the Argentines' backyard. The Falklands aren't that far from Argentina. Great Britain was able to reach out and accomplish that. They could not do it today. They have not maintained their navy in the the way it was. We've got the whole Middle East is is in ferment. Church a couple weeks ago we, we prayed for the Christians in the Middle East because in Mosul, uh, Mosul had Christians there for two thousand years. And they speak Arabic. They speak the language that Christ spoke. And they're down to a couple of dozen Christians. They had lived there for 2,000 years, surrounded by Muslims. And the Christians were certainly not a large political force, but they were tolerated by the Muslims. Kind of an interesting historical artifact from the Muslims' point of view, but they, they, they tolerated them. Guess what? They're not tolerating them anymore. The Christians in Iraq have been herded up onto a mountaintop and they're gradually being slaughtered. It's a tragic, terrible thing. It was not covered adequately in the nation. I, I don't know what we can do about it because the the mainstream media doesn't cover these things. When 600,000 Christians were slaughtered in Rwanda in 1993, 21 years ago, 
there were slaughtered by Muslims with machetes. And the world didn't do anything about it. But we got a got a, a major, major problem coming up here. Our president said he wants to fundamentally change our country. He is fundamentally changing it. In Maine, we've got... Uh, Let's talk about snowmobiles here a little bit. There isn't any snowmobiling except right around Holden. And uh, the rest of the trails aren't really in good shape yet. We've lost the we've lost the month of December economically in the snowmobile business because we just haven't had trails. And coming up this weekend, we're supposed to get four to eight inches of of uh, a good base. You know, the good thing about this weather we're going to have is that it, it's a good base. When this freezes, it's going to be quite hard. And whatever snow we get from here on out this winter, it's going to have a good base to be on. The ground is frozen. The lakes are freezing. Be really careful. Uh, but, uh, there are a lot of places on the lakes that are not safe. The big lakes are not safe. I don't know if the if West Korean, for example, is frozen yet. If it, if it's calm at night, uh, it'll skim over. So once it's skimmed over, it'll it'll grow. But if you get a stiff breeze, it keeps that surface stirred up and it doesn't freeze. And East Korean, I don't know. I got to find out. Next week I'll report on the big lakes. But this week that uh, this week the show is coming to you from Connecticut. Down here, uh, staying with our friends, our best friends. We had our 50th wedding anniversary, as I mentioned, last August. And they came up, and we had a family and friends got together in the backyard, and we had uh, a fine time. Down here, uh, our friends uh, married 50 years. They were in our wedding party, and we were in their wedding party. And they were married 50 years in September, but it's convenient for everybody to get together at this time. So tonight, we're going to observe this 50-year milestone at a gathering here in Connecticut. We came down for that. So I'm on the cell phone. And uh, in Connecticut, I don't have a lot of my usual material in front of me. So we... uh, I haven't had main papers, newspapers for stuff to look at lately but, uh, in the last few days. But they've got an inauguration coming up Wednesday. Uh, I'm going down to that. It's going to be a good time. I think that uh, Bruce Pollock may come up to be there when, when uh, Governor LePage gets re inaugurated again for another four-year term. He said that would never happen. It just can't happen. He got the highest number of votes of any governor ever elected in the state of Maine, and it was a three-year race, a three-way race. 
so so we're uh, doing that. I see that Dish Network has blocked Fox News. I don't know if they couldn't read couldn't arrive at a financial arrangement or what, but that's just popped out. Nine fourteen this morning. Just just it's it's hot news and I don't know why. I don't know anything about it yet, but if you look at the dish, Fox is not there. Uh, anybody remember a few years ago when Barack Obama said drilling for oil will not reduce prices? Well, guess what? Drilling for oil reduced prices. When the Bakken field came on and fracking became practical, we knew it could be, we knew it was possible because they had they had gone in there and hydraulically fracked some old oil wells to get them to try to bring them back. And it worked. We know more about it. It doesn't hurt your water supply. It isn't like your well at the house. People in Maine have wells that run between 60 and 200 feet deep on the average. There are a few down there 400 feet. But most wells are 100 feet or so. And it's adequate water supply. This is this is groundwater. Real, a dug well is just a hole in the ground where you pump in the water seeps in and you pump it, and it's good. And that's name name spring water. So it's for a dollar a pint down the cities. But down deep in the earth, where the oil is, and the natural gas is, oil and natural gas are generally mixed down below the ground. And when they pump high-pressure water down there, and the water seeps into the cracks in the earth, it releases the gas and the oil that are in the cracks. And then they start pumping, and it comes up out of the ground. So up there in the Bakken field in North Dakota, they've got a whole lot of oil, and it's good oil. It's low sulfur oil. West Texas sweet crude is, is the benchmark for low sulfur oil. And that's what the basic basic uh, crude price is based on. It's West Texas crude. If you've got high sulfur oil, it's not worth quite as much because it's more difficult to refine. And if, if you've got low sulfur oil, it's, it's worth a little more. So Pennsylvania said, well, let's take a look at all these old oil wells. In west, western Pennsylvania, they've got a lot of oil, and it's Quaker State is Pennsylvania. Quaker State Oil Company always had good, good quality motor oil over the years, and it's low sulfur oil. And then gradually they found oil in other places, Oklahoma, Texas. They're going back now into Oklahoma and Texas and fracking and waking up these old oil wells. And now they say that we've got enough oil in our country to last us for hundreds of years without importing any oil because of this new process. Environmental well, industry doesn't want to do it because they say we're going to contaminate groundwater. In Western New York State, they had some oil wells near Pennsylvania, but they were across the state line in New York. It's the same oil field. 
It's just like Montana, North Dakota, the Bakken field is on both sides of the state line, and they'll, they'll extract oil from that. But now, the uh, now New York has got a legislature that says, we don't want any fracking in New York. So all the farmers, loggers, and people in western Pennsylvania are making a whole lot of money on selling the, the rights to the oil under the ground where they are. A lot of farmers uh, are going to be able to stop farming and uh, or do some other kind of farming because they've got enough oil income that they don't have to farm. Farming is a seven-day-a-week job. You've got a dairy farm. You know, you're going to milk those cows two or three times a day. Farmers discovered if you milk a cow three times a day, you get more milk than if you milk them just two times a day. Excuse me. Try to avoid doing that on the show. Western Pennsylvania is having a little economic boom. Western New York State, they won't let them use fracking to release the oil and the natural gas that's down there. Because environmentalists say it could contaminate people's wells. Well, in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Pennsylvania, New York, there are pet pictures where you can turn on the kitchen water faucet and you'll smell, you can light the natural gas coming out of the kitchen water faucet. It'll puff. Well, there, there is natural gas in some surface wells. It's a naturally occurring thing. It's always been there. It's not caused by fracking. Remember, the, there was a TV show uh, years ago with a, with a Clampett family firing the fired a shotgun at a raccoon and oil came out of the ground down in Tennessee or someplace. And they got rich. Well, you're lucky enough to have an oil well and oil patch under your property. You could get rich. Luck of the draw. I mean, most people, when they buy their property, don't anticipate that they're going to be able to benefit from that because they have an oil well. It isn't just about the geology. It's about the politics. Because if you're on the on the Pennsylvania side of that line, which is a straight line, you can make a lot of money from petroleum. If you're on the New York side, you're out of luck. But it isn't geology. It's politics. And if they change the law, the people in New York can get rich too. What a wonderful thing. I wonder what's going to happen there. But soon. The question is, are there enough voters in western New York State to prevail? Because most of the population in New York State is down, down near New York City and Long Island. Are they going to care about the people who are up in rural with New York State who would like to be able to make some money, pay taxes in New York State? 
Well, that remains to be seen. We've got a situation in in Maine. We've got the Land Use Regulation Commission, now called Oopsie Land Use Planning Commission, because planning has a has a friendlier tone to it than the word regulation. Kind of bristle at the word regulation, but they don't bristle quite as much at the word planning. So. In Maine, uh, we've got the Land Use Planning Commission now to deal with, and these people are not elected. And no state, no other state in the nation has a state agency that rules more than half the state. So, <clears throat> it's an anachronism that occurred years ago, and they worked at it for years. First of all, Baxter. Was a conservationist, but he wasn't a preservationist. He was just a conservationist. Big difference. When they wanted to create this thing, he said, "No, no, no, no." He wasn't in favor of bigger, big government to that extent. And then when, when they wanted to create the Long Falls Dam on the Dead River, Central Maine Power wanted them to. Give them the power of eminent domain to seize land. And Percival Baxter said no three times. And then they got a new governor. And the new governor signed it. There they came. And the, the gunman from Central Bank Power went out to Long Falls, Dead River, Bigelow, and one other town, Eastie at the moment, and they they told those people, "That's it. You're out of here. Here's your check. Said, we don't want to leave. We've lived here all this time. We, we don't want to leave." He says, "Well, you're going to leave. We're seizing your property," and that was it. That happened, and they promised that this was going to be in help the state economically. They're going to build a hydroelectric dam there and produce power. We're going to have reliable power for our mills in Maine. They didn't build it. They built the dam, but they didn't build a hydro station. And when they clear-cut all that land, they demolished the churches and the homes, the general stores, and the sawmills, the blacksmith shops, and flooded it. That lake came up to within four feet of the front steps of J.P. Morgan's hunting camp. J.P. Morgan had a fishing camp. Two story. You can't make this stuff up. There's a book called The Lost Villages of Flagstaff Lake. It's a rare book now. It's out of print. I have one. This stuff happened to mean people. We've got to remember our history and try to prevent these things from happening again. The common core coming at us, our children, grandchildren, are going to be taught a different version of history than what we learned. Because the people that wrote common core don't like the history that we were taught. 
one of them be able to be taught a different version of history. We want people to be taught a different style of mathematics. You get a second grader that's, that's taught this, he can't figure out how to add and subtract. And if we allow this to become endemic in our nation, there will be no more engineers, surveyors, astronauts, pilots, navigators of all kinds, because you cannot do mathematics using this style of mathematics sufficiently. It it can't happen. It, It can't function. Our economy will collapse if, if they try to do this. They're successful if we allow it to happen. This is going to be the biggest boom to homeschooling that has ever heard happened in our country. I don't know what's going to happen, but we've got an opportunity with this new legislation. Gain some of our freedom. Talking about the East West Highway again. I went down and I testified about the East West Highway before the legislature. And I said, you know why? The legislature didn't understand why people along the proposed route, the generalized route, we don't know exactly where it's going to be, but if it happens, you know, they know point of origin and they know the point of destination and somewhere in between they, they will like to pass a road through there. And maybe not just a road, maybe other infrastructure. Well, we've got a situation there where the people were dead set against it. I mean, they had signs in their lawns, no road, no, no corridor, no east-west highway. And the people in the legislature didn't understand why we had this strong resistance. I went down there, and in three minutes, I told the story of the lost villages of Blackstaff Lake, where central main power was given the power of eminent domain to seize that property. Guess what? The law has never been repealed. Central main power still has the right of eminent domain, private company. Central Bank Power is an old man Wyman. Wyman Dam was named for the Wyman family. They they ran Central Bank Power essentially 80 years ago. Guess what? The law is still in effect. Wyman family doesn't own Central Bank Power. And Bangor Hydro is not not a main company. Bangor Hydro is a mirror main. Central Main Power is owned by a Spanish company. I think we ought to start out by repealing the law that says these people have eminent domain in our country. Really, we want the Spanish having eminent domain in the state of Maine? Good question. Question I think deserves an answer. So, 
popped it open. We got uh, one of our one of our uh, rather famous sea wolves passed away, and he's going to be buried on the seventh, California. And the only remaining sea wolf helicopter is going to fly over it, and that helicopter has six hours left on the rotor blades. And rotor blades have a have a life. Rotor blade is uh, can't run a rotor blade forever. They've got C-47s that were built in the 1930s, before World War II, that are still flying. Taking the old engines off, putting in new fuel tanks, putting turboshaft engines on these old C-47s, and using them as bush, bush planes all over the world, South America, Africa, Asia. And there's some flying in Maine. There's a C-47 on floats in Millinocket, Maine. And I've, I've seen it fly. I went to the, the uh, float plane fly-in, international float plane fly-in in Millinocket, Maine. Excuse me, in Greenville, Maine. And we've got a situation there that it's a unique airplane. They found the floats in Brazil, and they brought the floats up, reconditioned them, put them on this C-47. It's actually a DC-3. C-47 is a military designation. DC-3 is the civilian designation of the same airplane. And that plane could be flown today on floats. And they were given rides at the International Full Plane Fly-In. They have an International Full Plane Fly-In in Europe. Anybody know what it's called? It's called the Greenville of Europe. That's how big and how famous and how important the full plane business is in Maine and North America. I worked in Canada for seven years. And there are full planes all over the place up there. And they're a vigorous part of their economy. And they're a vigorous part of emergency medicine. They'll fly somebody out of somewhere on, in a full plane to, to, for medical treatment. And they have beavers, and they have otters, and they have Norsemen up there, which is a pretty big airplane on floats. But there aren't many twin-engine airplanes on floats. They've got twin otters on floats. And in British Columbia, a lot of people have flown around on their commercial flights on floats in British Columbia. But a helicopter, uh, the blades are... <laughs> My wife, she didn't realize I was still on the radio. We, uh, we're nearing the end of the show here. Coming right up on it. We've got two minutes to go. But helicopter rotor blades have a very finite life. Yeah. When you change a rotor blade in a helicopter, you've got to find a rotor blade that's got within 200 hours of the same life in it. Or it just won't match. The two won't pass through the same path and helicopter shake like a wet dog. So, so we uh, we've gone around, right around the barn. We uh, we've covered a lot of different things this morning. It's nine fifty nine, and show is over. I'm gonna, we're going out for breakfast. Just pull back up. 
from a dialogue here. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network of Conscience of Maine. Broadcasting today in Maine on WXME, 780 in Monticello, 94.7 in Monticello, and all the way down to Danforth, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Today is Friday, January 2nd. 2015. Happy New Year. Be safe on the ice. An awful lot of ice in Maine is not safe yet. So be careful and God bless. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.